It's 4.40 in the morning on January 4th, 2014. I got up at 4.30 this morning, pretty much like normal. Uh, I just want to record what a horrible dream I just had. I had a, a full-on uh, demonic attack last night. I haven't had one in quite some time. And I just uh, I found uh, the timing. I found comfort. It was very scary what happened, but I found comfort in the timing because this... Uh, seems once again that as I press into truth or as I'm getting ready to launch my ministry or as I'm uh, really um, climbing out of lies and into more more of God's truth, um, I get attacked. So just the, the quick version is that I obviously over the last couple of days, I've gone through some very intense upheaval, uh, what I would call very much a a spiritual earthquake, a shaking of my entire foundation where I'm now been studying John MacArthur's teachings and uh, the book Strange Fire. And I've been, I've spent literally days, I, I think I studied yesterday from 5.30 in the morning till 4 o'clock all day long. I just read and studied. And uh, I've been going through the conference videos and what I'm discovering is that uh, the charismatic movement is uh, is is a gigantic open door for an unbelievable deception. Um, I've discovered so many things; it's too lengthy to even put in a message here. But it's just been so um, disheartening and foundation shaking. To it's like going through a spiritual divorce because I'm now going to leave my church over this. And I've been praying and praying and praying, and for months I've I've just found that something is not right and i've been uh, i've been sick about going to my church and every time i go to my church it feels like i'm going backwards and although there's great music and people seem to be so happy and there's this energy and enthusiasm i have just begun to see that behind all of that people's lives are train wrecked there is absolutely no real fruit of christ there's only a handful of people that i can see i'm talking one or two people that i can even think of that have a life that i believe would be exemplary of that of a Christian, somebody that has a normal, godly life, somebody that's living a life of dignity, respect, humility, not that they don't have any challenges in their life, but that there's a reasonable evidence that they are a humble person living rightly before God, and that there's not something weird or off base or outside of truth going on in their life. And on the contrary, I see all these people chasing prophecy and tongues and great music and healing and, uh, you know, prophecy and all these things. And yet their lives behind the scenes have all got clearly evidence of s demonic deception. And it's absolutely been driving me crazy. And I just have not been uh, well informed enough or doctrinally sound enough to understand these things, and I uh, have never been able to fully participate in the deception, but I've entertained it and thought, well, how come I'm not having these experiences? and How come this isn't happening? And by God's grace, He's opened my eyes to what a gigantic deception this charismatic movement is. And it has been so disturbing. I've cried yesterday several times just like a baby. God, please open my eyes. Don't let me be deceived anymore on these things. And with that has come this just huge sense of vulnerability. Anytime you have a, a, a earth-shaking, foundational-changing 
change or shift in your beliefs like this, it is very upsetting. And it's not like I, you know, didn't completely already know that something was, you know, just not right. I just didn't realize how unright it was. As a result, I'm really, um, been weak on this so last night I decided to take a break from it and I decided to work on the 212 story well interestingly enough I'm at the port part so I'm following it chronological in order I came to the part where it's time do I tell the story about which I'm giving her the fake name Natalie in the story or do I leave it out do I tell the part about how Satan set me up stumbled and I ended up having this you know woman basically almost rape me and I mean I obviously participated but I tried to do everything I could in my power, emotionally, physically, mentally, to, to say, no, stop, you're not thinking right. I did everything I could to try to stop this, and this woman would not take no for an answer. And I literally just in fear and just basically in, in uh, uh, weariness eventually just gave up. I was afraid of, you know, what what is this woman going to do if I say no? What would it be like if I just pushed her off of me and got up and left, you know? So ended up, do I go through and tell that part of the story? Here I am telling the Laura story. Do I tell this part in the story and potentially, you know, have a lot of people judge me and more importantly, have Laura and her family judge me? Because it's not something I, I wanted. It broke my heart that I had that experience. I didn't want to have that experience at all. And uh, so do I tell that or not? And the reality is it's part of the truth. And there's people that Satan deceives into allowing things like that to happen that can ruin their life or relationships. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate I was a single man, not dating anybody when this happened, but I'm unfortunate because I'm a lover of the Lord. And I allowed myself to be drug into sin and tempted, and I stumbled, and I had to take responsibility for that. So I decided to tell the story and then to use it as a teaching opportunity to explain the consequences of having premarital sex and of not, uh, of opening doors that you shouldn't have opened. And that even though I felt everything was safe and everything was okay, that I made some unwise decisions and allowed myself to be deceived. And thus I allowed myself to stumble. And the enemy flipped me over successfully. After months of trying to distract me with women, I was able to uh, avoid the blatant uh, distractions and attempts of the enemy and and the uh, opportunities he wanted to put me in. But this one was so subtle that it flipped in a moment. Everything seemed fine, and then the next thing I know, this person just completely flipped and went from being this highly platonic, distant, professional woman of discretion to a complete tiger. I mean, it was just, it was like literally nothing I can say I ever thought would happen in real life. It's like a scene out of a movie. So I described this um, in somewhat detail in the entry. And I go to bed trying to read some more of the Strange Fire book. And I guess probably around 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I have this terrible, terrible dream. Very fully demonic. It's very dark in the dream. I'm laying somewhere where there are these women that are sleeping beside me. And this one woman happens to have wrapped her leg, um, her legs around my leg. And in the dream, she's down like towards my feet. So my, she's literally just got her legs wrapped around like my ankle. It's down by my ankle. But in the dream, I, this lady starts to shake and quiver. And it's almost like she's having a sexual orgasm simply from having my leg around her legs. And she's, 
and it's almost like her, it's more like towards the bottom of her ankle. So it's not like towards her vagina or anything like that. It's down towards her ankles and she's just rubbing and like hunching on me and she's going crazy and she's shaking so much that the, the bed that I'm staying in is shaking. And I'm going, this is just, even in the dream, I realized how weird this was. Then there was like somebody up near my head and all of a sudden in a moment, it was like, I don't know how to explain it, but there was like this other woman figure like towards my head and she just she said David of all things the name David and she I wake up terrified and it's almost like in that very moment there was like a demonic presence literally trying to enter me in my through my head or something it was horrific I woke up completely terrified uh, and immediately said in the name of Jesus Christ you get away from me and the dream was so weird, so just dark. It was very dark in the dream. It was, and I woke up terrified. It was literally like I was f having a demonic encounter in that dream that I could tell that that dream was coming from, from demonic presence. It was horrible. It was another one of those just frightening, frightening moments that I haven't had for some time. And so I just prayed in the name of Jesus, but I just felt shivers and quivers for, for moments and, and uh, finally just had to start praying and it went away and I was able to go back to sleep. But here it is again, I recognize here I am pushing into the truth uh, away from the lies, both on the doctrine theology side of my life. And then now I'm uh, once again telling the truth. This has happened multiple times where just before I begin to tell somebody the truth, about the, the the story, like one of the night before I told the guys, or the night before I came up with the idea to tell the guys about that. I had this terrible sexual dreams, and again, Satan trying to tempt me to masturbate, and I say no, and I'm attacked. And here I am again, getting ready. I've just told the story, and I've, I'm wondering. I went to bed going, should I put that in there or not? And to me, that this is almost absolute evidence that I should, because I'm being attacked again find it very interesting the timing of these things it's 12 24 on january 4th 2014 and i'm having a really rough time again i uh i'm going through such a um, a shaking a foundational shaking in my faith in my doctrine i have been uh so fragile in the last couple of days as I have read this book, Strange Fire, and it is so confronting the entire charismatic movement that I've been in now for essentially at least two years on and off. And I got exposed, really, and the door kind of opened through... Reinhard Bonnke, who I have been thinking is such a, <clears throat> a wonderful man of God and so sweet and nice and read his book and was just blown away and filled up with faith. And now I'm reading, you know, a book called Strange Fire by John MacArthur. And, oh man, he, he is making such a strong case through Scripture of how the apostolic gifts have ceased and that the the gifts of you know administration teaching preaching wisdom and stuff like that are still in play but that the the gifts the apostolic gifts healing uh prophecy tongues miracles 
that they've all ceased. And it's been so confusing. <sighs> Having been to the Reinhard Bonnke crusade and having had what I felt was an instant healing of my ankle, my tendons or whatever was going on and he makes such a strong case that that's not real. Using Benny Hinn they've written an entire page and I, I know that Benny Hinn's a complete goon. I know it. And I always wondered about Reinhard Bonnke when I saw that Kenneth Copeland and, and, and Benny Hinn were both huge contributors to his ministry. And I saw the relationship they had in the book. And I began to go, wait a second. How can this be? How could, how could Reinhard, if he's a true man of God, not know these guys are absolute false teachers? Big time. Wolves. And I thought, well, maybe just because they're in Pentecostal and he's such a nice guy that... You know, he's accepting help from the United States. But I am now questioning even my own healing. And I have recordings that I've made where I don't know how many days it was after I got back to, from Florida that I was out running and I said, wait a second, I feel the pain back. And I had just read in John Bevere's book, who was the youth pastor for Benny Hinn of all things, about how people had, quote, lost their healing and, and that that he, Satan tries to come and take it from you, and you got to stand against it and fight for that and believe for it. And I started thinking to myself, is, does that really make sense? Does that line up with Scripture that when Jesus would heal somebody, that Satan could come around and take it back from him? Could, could Satan so quickly undo the supernatural work of God or Jesus Christ that quick? And that didn't make sense to me, but I was like, no, I believe it, and I'd claim it in faith. Nothing happened. My, the truth is, and I didn't want to tell anybody, I didn't want to tell myself because I couldn't figure out what was going on. My ankle did feel substantially better when I left. I mean, there was no doubt about it, and I saw swelling what looked like went down. Literally, I felt like the swelling went down within a couple of days of leaving that event, and I could go out and run again for a while, but then shortly after that, I couldn't run again. Without it, without it being uncomfortable. And I'd start going, wait a second, wait a second. I thought I was healed. Michael Commentary. Let me pause very quickly and point you to a recording that you'll see in a link directly below this recording on RelentlessHeart.com in the description section. The video is entitled Miracle Healing or Psychological Placebo. What you're hearing in this recording here is the climax, the, the, the middle point of where my faith is really being shaken and this solid ground uh, that I thought I was standing on in the charismatic camp is beginning to turn into quicksand now that I'm seeing the also-writtens as presented by John MacArthur. Now, I've already explained how I feel about the Sola Scriptura camp and the John MacArthur camp going to another extreme beyond what the Charismatics do, and you hopefully have already heard my commentary on that. But I'm going to be very confused about this experience of healing I had in the face of this new insight that I'm gleaning from John MacArthur's book, which ultimately, believe it or not, I'm going to come out far more agreeing with John MacArthur in his position than I am the Charismatics, even though I'm somebody who stood on a stage in front of 5,000 people uh, on, with one of the world's most famous faith healers one of the most famous evangelists in the world, Reinhard Bonnke, and Daniel Kalinda, his predecessor, 
And I want you to know that this confusion set in deep and hard and long. But years later, God has helped me to get much more clarity on that. And so that you're not confused about what I believe or what God eventually led me to, I will pray in Jesus' name that you'll pause now if there's any confusion. And if you haven't heard it already, please listen to that video so that you can better understand the more mature, uh, more educated, wiser uh, understanding that God gave me after many years of going through this experience. And may God bless you indeed as you listen to that. End of commentary. I thought I felt like a, 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 a like a bolt of quick electricity, like a boom just went through my body. And I felt like I could feel tingly feeling down around my ankle. And that was my experience. And now I'm wondering, you know, did I just make that up in my head? Was that like a such a powerful psychological uh, uh, placebo effect that they they talk about, where my body literally felt like it was healed for a few seconds? And I I don't know the answer to that, but all I know now is when I look at the reality of the situation, my ankle, although it felt dramatically better and I could sleep with it in the sheets and all of that, that it shortly after started getting worse again and I couldn't run very, I couldn't run. I don't remember how long this lasted, but then over a period of a couple of months, it always stayed just slightly sore. And now of course it's pretty much, I'd say it's 90, if I had to ask, I'd say it's 95%, you know, of what it was right now. So I'm thinking to myself, now, wait a second, was that a healing from the Lord? That's like, you know, maybe 85% better the first minute. And then, you know, it stays good for a week and then it starts going back again and regress. And then for months, it just slowly gets better. No, that sounds more like the body healing itself. And that maybe I just had this like incredible placebo effect or something that I remember when I got in the car, I could feel my ankle roll to the side and there was a part of me that felt like, oh, don't roll your ankle over too far. It's going to hurt. Like I can still make it hurt a little bit if, right now if I want to. Of course, I can do that on my other side as well. I can make it, if I roll my ankle, I can feel the pain of it a little bit, but that's kind of in both ankles. Um, but I remember not wanting to roll my ankle over a certain way, sitting in the car, like that it would feel a little uncomfortable. And I thought, wait a second, is that is that like ghost pain? Is that like my body is playing tricks on me? I mean, I, I it's just really, really bizarre. But, you know, now I'm starting to wonder if, if any of that's even real. Like, I totally believe that God can absolutely provide, but that you don't have to go to a crusade to get healed, that He can, I mean, heal. And you don't have to go to a crusade to get it. You don't have to go to a faith healer. You can pray and ask the Lord, and the Lord, by providence, if He wills, can heal you. But... This whole thing has just shaken me up and I'm begging the Lord. I'm like, God, what does all this mean? Is there anything else that I'm, you know, believing? I've always been a doubter of the tongues and I finally just got to the point where I'm like, okay, I see other people doing it. It must be real. And now I come, now I believe after reading this book and studying for three days and listening to these conference sermons and really looking at what the scripture says about this, I believe it is a complete farce. There is no such thing as tongues and the tongues that people speak today all just bubbling babbling ridiculous that's just ridiculous and I believe um, as uh, John 
MacArthur pointed out that true tongues in the Old Testament, Acts 2, was the ability to speak another language, and that's why they all heard each other. He goes on to show throughout all the rest of the talk, even explaining, you know, they spoke with tongues of angels, or if I speak with tongues of angels, he explained it all. And it becomes obvious that true tongues was the ability to speak a foreign language, and then there were those who could interpret. And that doesn't exist anymore. Not that I can see. And I've started... I went back and I, I watched the video this morning from our own church of Pastor Greg DeVries, who apparently has the gift of prophecy. And I watched his message to David Martin. And as I listened to it, I thought, okay, what in this is very specific? And as I listened to it, without possible exception of him saying, you know, you're going to need to sell out everything for God and that there's going to be a cost to this new revelatory season he was talking about, I started listening to it, realizing that there wasn't anything in the message that was so specific that it couldn't have been applied to me. He could have given me the exact same message, and I'd have been like, wow, yeah. There was nothing so specific for him that made it sound like it was a, a genuine message, and it sounds more like a calling a psychic hotline. Your whole life has been a case study and based upon, you know, this and that and the other and it was all just so generalized. And so I was listening to that going, man, this is this is this is not real. This is this is either demonically inspired. And then of course my whole thought pattern has been, wait, 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 wait. How could a person preach the word of God and talk about Jesus Christ and then be a false teacher. I've had this big issue. Well, false teachers are not easily deceiving people because they're so blatantly false. There is a lot of what they say that looks like or sounds like the truth. And we get so caught up in, you know, what they can do for us and the power of the Spirit and all these things we're searching for. We kind of just yes and amen the whole way through their sermon. I started listening to some, some of these sermons, like, I heard Reinhard Bonnke. I was like, wait a second. I heard Reinhard Bonnke make a message about, there's a, a passage in Isaiah, I don't remember which one it is, where he talks about, if a lion devours a sheep, and there will be, he, he says that, that the people will be devoured, like a lion devours a sheep and is only able to bring back the, 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 the piece of a leg from its mouth, or part of the ear. Michael commentary. The verse that I'm trying to recall in this story is actually from Amos chapter 3, verse 12. The passage says, This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites be saved. Those who sit in Samaria on the edge of their beds and in Damascus on their couches. I heard him preach this message at a conference. One of the first American gospel conferences he did was actually in Orlando, Florida. The event that I went to was called Gospel Fest in Vero Beach. And it happened at the end of 2013. Whereas the first main evangelistic crusade he did was in Orlando, Florida. At then, it was called the Amway Arena. 
And I went to that event. And that night, I saw two things. Keep in mind, even though I had just been, quote, healed at his conference, you know, weeks or months earlier in Vero Beach, I saw two things happen that made, gave me big red flags. I saw a look on Daniel Kalinda's face in an interaction with Reinhardt up on stage. I was sitting stage right, uh, looking at the stage literally from the profile view. And so I got to see you know, a little bit of the behind the scene area that you don't see when you're sitting in the main part of the auditorium there. And I saw an interaction with him and just something in my heart just discerned there is something not right about this. It looked like a very dishonest, it looked like, see, I came from the world of motivational speakers. And so I know what it looks like when a guy whispers to one of his guys. And I know what it looks like to be manipulating audiences. And I know there's, I don't know how to explain this to you. I just know it. I had this experience where I saw this thing happen and I just can discern it. I don't even want to try to describe it, but I just discerned there is a temperament in that look, in that dialogue, in that conversation that contradicts the spirit of Jesus Christ. Then when Reinhard Bunke preached this passage and made it sound like that God was going to save America based on this passage that as a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, he was making it sound like that if that's all there is left, God can still save. And that is not at all what this passage means. This is a passage of condemnation and judgment. If you read, as we should all be taught to do a few verses before and a few verses after, this is God not saying that he's going to actually save Israel. This is saying that such a tiny remnant of Israel will be saved, it's almost not even worth calling it saved. Nobody finds, you know, two leg bones or a piece of an ear in a lion's mouth and says, oh, you know, I saved my my beloved lamb. No. I actually found the clip from the Good News Orlando Gospel Crusade with Reinhard Bonnke and Daniel Kalenda. I found somebody on YouTube that had videoed the whole thing. Uh, This was Friday night, September 27th, 2013. I am actually in the audience at this crusade. So I was there and heard these words with my own ears. I simply found a recording of it. And here's where you will hear him teaching and completely distorting the teaching uh, out out of spirit with what Amos 3.12 was really meant to say. I found a scripture in the Old Testament. And the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 3 verse 12. It has fascinated me greatly. I just want to quickly share this with you. You know, I I, I give you my own rendering. You can read it in your Bible. I just give you my own rendering of it. This is what the prophet says by the Holy Spirit. He says... A lion has caught a sheep, and the sheep is in the jaws of the lion. And thus says the Lord, if one ear of the sheep still sticks out of the mouth of the lion, and one leg on the other side still sticks out of the mouth of the lion, I will save you. Save you. 
It's pitiful. It's pathetic. Yes, indeed, you did save a few little pieces. It's such a remnant that it's not even close to being what it was intended to be. This is a passage of judgment, and he twisted it to make it sound like it was a passage of hope. And that is, this is not a passage of hope. God is telling them this is so bad that Israel is going to be saved. Mind you, only a remnant of 7,000 people end up being saved. They're wiped out entirely down to 7,000. And here's the context. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, quote, an enemy will overrun the land. He will pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. Does that sound like a, hey, God's coming to rescue you. God's coming with revival. No. And see, he preached this as a revival passage. And I said, no, there is something seriously wrong with this. Then the passage reads verse 12. Then it says, hear this and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy. And he goes on, cut off and tear down. There is nothing in here about revival or saving. And so when I saw this, I said, wait a second, how could... You know, here I am, way his junior in walking with the God and studying the Bible. You know, how could I understand that this is a passage of condemnation and judgment? And how could a man of God who claims to love Jesus so much and love God so much and be doing so much in the name of Jesus, how in the world could he have taken a passage of condemnation and judgment and spin that into God is going to save God is going to bring revival, even though all there is left to work with is an ear and two leg bones. God is going to save America like that. Now, Reinhard Bonnke has since died. Now, he went around telling everybody that the same kind of revival, this is how we can also know that he's false. He said, God is going to save America. And Reinhard Bonnke has passed, and he was indicating that God had told him to take these conferences. Well, he's now dead. I don't know how many of these conferences he did, but the turnout was miserable, and there certainly was not some great awakening, and it was nothing like what he had projected, which would be, you know, Africa. The story of this miracle I've written in this book. I'm not here to advertise a book, but this describes that miracle. It's, the book is called Raised from the Dead, and the subtitle is The Miracle that brings promise to America. I believe as we have seen the power of God shake African nations, he is the same God. He will shake America. America will be saved. He went to Africa and preached and, you know, apparently millions of people showed up at all these conferences and professed faith. And he claimed that God told him the same thing was going to happen in America. It didn't. Reinhard Bonnke is dead. These conferences didn't go very far at all for all I know. So this was a false prophecy. And here it is. He's taking this word and twisting it. And I knew and see these were two clues that helped me to see God open my eyes in one night. This sinister, dishonest, kind of scheming look that I saw in the face of Daniel Kalinda that I had seen behind stages of motivational speakers before. And now I was seeing it in Daniel Kalinda. And then to have him have this passage. And so I right then and there, I said, something is not right. And so I began to go, I'm clearly not seeing the whole truth. See, now do you understand why Jesus says, be very careful, no one deceives you. Because if you sit down 
And you just begin to listen to these guys and you take all the miracles, you know, at their word and you get involved in all the hoopla and the excitement and you hear how much, and Jesus, and you hear all this excitement about Jesus and the name, you get caught up in it and you immediately, you go, man, I'm craving so bad somebody to promote Jesus, somebody to promote the power of God, the kingdom of God to come in power that you go, this must be it. And you just begin to turn off any of those things that are skeptical. You begin to forget about testing all spirits and you forget Jesus's admonition to all of us in these last days. Be very careful. No one deceives you. I mean, three times in Matthew 24, Jesus warns about deception. He doesn't warn about earthquakes three times. He doesn't warn about famines and pestilences three times. He warns about deception three times. We have to be so careful. But I no longer believe that he was in, and I don't know his whole past history I read, but another thing that happened when I read his book And I started noticing that a lot of these crusades that were in Africa were funded by Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn. I said, God, that's it. I'm out. How is it possible that you could possibly bless this man using some of the most wicked of the devil's, quote, masquerading angels of light to promote Benny Hinn? The fact that he would take... And I started going... If Benny Hinn called me up and said, hey, Mike, I have $800,000 sitting here burning a hole on my desk to give to you to go promote RelentlessHeart.com, God's told me to give it to you, I would say, no thanks, not interested. Not interested. It would be worse than receiving money from pagans to do what I'm doing. This is a devil's agent. He he still doesn't realize it. (laughs) And so I started going, something is not right here. And this shows... A counterfeit can look so much like the authentic that you cannot tell until you finally see what is that thing that is being added to this that is not in the original. What is that thing that is being twisted? And there it is. The counterfeit will always, to the discerning eye, reveal itself after a matter of time. When you see that temperament that completely contradicts Jesus Christ in a place that should be so inappropriate that it could have never been possible for somebody to do that, and yet there it is, that look that sinister look. And then when you hear a scripture that is so clearly God's judgment being turned into the promotion of God's mercy and revival for America, you know something is not right. And listen, it doesn't matter how nice the guy is at this point. It doesn't matter how many thousands of posts he put on Facebook about Jesus. It doesn't matter how many millions of people he preached Jesus Christ to. Thank God he preached Jesus. Paul says all that matters is that Jesus Christ is preached, even if they do it out of false motives. So thank God that Jesus Christ was preached. But I'd like to go to Africa and see how many of those, quote, signed confessions and conversions ended up in true discipleship, people learning to obey the teachings of Christ, denying themselves, giving up their life, losing their life, hating their life to find it, versus those who ended up in yet another false teacher, uh, house of so-called God, you know, chasing the miracles and all the signs and wonders. So I, I'm not going to get into all that in, de- in detail, but I now believe that what Reinhard Bonnke was doing was good from the standpoint that he was preaching Jesus. And that's about where I'm going to have to leave it. That he was preaching Jesus Christ. And maybe some people really did find authentic, true faith through him. But I cannot say that he was walking in the true spirit of Christ. And I do not believe that these miracles were authentic. I believe they are absolutely fake. And they are absolutely, in fact, there is proof. There is 
There is proof that his miracles were fake. There is a, a documentary, I'll find the link to it and put it below here as well, that HBO did behind the scenes years ago on Reinhard Bonnke and Benny Hinn, and neither of them were ever able to prove any of the healings, not a single one. And on the contrary, there were people that came forward that testified. They, they tried to find people who would say they were healed when in fact they weren't, and they screened out people who, who really legitimately had uh, bad things wrong with them from these crusades and conferences. And so there's a false to it. And yet they look so smiley. They look so happy. I mean, Reinhard Bonnke had to be one of the best counterfeits I've ever seen. He looked like such a gentle, smiley man. Listen, let me just tell you something. Beware of all these teachers. You don't talk about how to identify false. Look at Torben Sundergaard. He's another absolutely counterfeit and he's a good counterfeit. Obviously, hundreds of thousands of people are following this guy from the last Reformation. I want you to notice how all the false teachers have this candy apple smile they're almost always wearing on their face. Think of a Joel Osteen. When's the last time you didn't see Joel Osteen with some candy apple smile that just looks like it belongs back at the circus? And the same thing with Torben Sundergaard. Do you know Reinhard Bonnke was the same way? They had this unbelievable smile. Do you know a guy I worked for in the motivational speaking world who was one of the biggest money-loving hypocrites you could ever imagine had one of the most dazzling smiles I've ever seen. He could put it on like he created the smile. And everywhere he went, unless it was behind closed doors and serious business was happening or in a moment of passion, when he met you, he would charm your pants off with this smile. I hate to be so dramatic and uh, probably dirty cliche to say, but it is true. He had this million dollar smile and people in that world are taught you can win people over with a smile. I know I used to travel all over the United States training people how important smiling was. You don't hear a lot of smiling coming through my ministry now, if you ever notice that. If you meet me, you're not going to sit there and see me, you know, sm- I'm going to be happy. Yes, I'm happy. And I smile with Persis and with Tyler and laugh and cut up. And there'll be moments I can throw my head back and laugh at something and smile. But if you notice, there's a very seriousness. If you've ever met me or you, you see me, there's a seriousness to this. People are dying. People are being deceived. Be very weary of these people who put on this canned, ridiculous smirk on their face. Torben Sundergaard, if you have discernment, you can see that candy circus smile he has, and he's absolutely false. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what Jesus was talking about. They smile. They look so lovely. They sound like Reinhard Bonnke sounds like he could have been the fourth person in the Trinity. He's a, he looks like a sheep. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's why we find it so hard to believe when we find out these things about people are like, what do you mean? I mean, he talked about Jesus. He led millions. He did all these great things. He, he did this. He had faith. He did all this kind of stuff. The Egyptian magicians had faith. They had unbelievable miracles. They were able to duplicate every single thing that Moses did. That's unbelievable. So we have to be so careful. End of commentary. And Reinhard spoke on that passage to suggest that it was saying that even if a person only has a part of their leg left that they can bow to the Lord, he can still save them. If they only have one part of their ear left that hasn't been swallowed by the enemy, that he can still save them. That is totally not what that passage of scripture means as I read it. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, this is Reinhard Bonnke? 
this, quote, great man of God who's led all these millions of people to the Lord. So, so teaching a scripture that is so pervertedly different than what the scripture talks about. God was talking about that, that, that the people were going to be so devoured that it's, it's like when a person is, uh, uh, an animal is devoured and the only evidence that they ever existed is a piece of leg that's left or a piece of their ear. That they would be devoured, not that they could be saved like that. I didn't interpret that scripture to mean that at all. That reminds me of when I heard Chris Vallotton teaching on Lot's wife. And that, in fact, God showed him, the Spirit showed him, that that was actually a good thing that that happened. That her turning around was because of her care and concern. And that God, since salt is good, made her a pillar of salt to remain there with him, to, to look after him. Always to be a reminder, looking after those people. And I thought, what in the world? That is heresy. Horrible teaching. So, I'm really starting to go... All right, Lord, what's going on here? You know, and I've been very fragile as I'm trying to hash all this out. And, you know, when you find out, like, some core things that your church believes that are not, it's, it's, it's really devastating. I mean, I had a love for my pastor for a while, and that's been growing cold over the last couple of months because I've been smelling something and sensing that something wasn't right. But now that I'm coming to grips with seeing the Word of God about this and realizing there's a reason why my spiritual discernment is meter is going off and that's because it's wrong. And so now you go, now you go, okay, well now what, Lord? Where do you go from here? Do you, do I go to a Baptist church? Do I go to a Methodist church? Do I go to a Lutheran? I mean, where, what do I, where do I go? Where, what's the truth about a good place to go and worship? And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that shakes you to your core. And I'm having to reevaluate. And I'm thankful that God is opening my eyes, but man, it hurts. It feels like it feels like falling off of your bike. You know, I mean, it really does. It feels like being pushed off your bike. And so I've been asking the Lord, God, what does this mean, Father? You know, I feel like the devil's trying to use this to, to really discourage me. You know, you're not even seeing these numbers. You know, God's not going to hold out for you. You've made this all up. God doesn't do these kind of things. And of course, that's not true. God does speak to individual people. God does direct their steps. The Word is, is replete with instances of that. What God doesn't do is set up you know, events or stadiums so that He can put on displays of His power like it's some kind of a circus act and that the only reason people come is to see the circus act, not because they value God truly or value His Word. They want Him for, for His power and His fireworks show that they think He's doing rather than just sitting quietly before Him with their Bible, humbly before the Lord in awe of the Word of God and who He is and what He's done. I see the importance of this. I see this constant desire that people have to run. I, in fact, I received an email today, coincidentally, as I, was in, as I was studying the chapter on false prophets. I've been getting these messages the last two days from one of my good friends, Larry, who's sending me these, quote, prophetic updates and prophetic messages. And here I am, realizing this is all fake, and he sends me this long message from these people, and I, I, re, I look at this, and instantly my eyes are opened. I start to see the heresy. I start to see the false teaching. I start to see the emphasis on all kinds of strange things outside these, quote, new revelations that are outside of God's Word, including, of all things, an emphasis on numbers, 444, 111, 67, 40, claiming that 
people that were born in 1947 or 1967 are going to have these great special blessings in 2014 and that when you add these two numbers together they make 111 and here's what that is it's psalm 111 and 444 people that see that this year are going to have a special blessing and god is trying to show you that number to get you to pay attention to where he's at work and i'm going oh my gosh just last night is when i wrote about what happened and how satan used and the, the main thing that he used to, to flip me over was her, quote, seeing numbers. And then when I get to her house, I discover that she's getting these numbers out of this book of angels thing. And she's looked up to see what these numbers mean through this book about angels. And I'm going, this is complete, absolute, new age, garbage, demonic deception. Full on, like, horoscopy stuff. Crazy. That's the same thing that these, quote, prophets were putting. Their words are... They don't have anything to do with the scripture, and it's just generic, weird number stuff. That is not why God shows me numbers. The numbers he shows me all point to scriptures, his word. He's just guiding me like the psalm, I think it's Psalm 139. He guides me with his word. And so, I'm sitting here going, oh great. This is going to shake up every relationship I have. There's a scripture, 1022, everyone will hate you because of me, but he who endures to the end, I think it's Mark 1022, Everyone will hate you because of me, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And I'm starting to feel like that's exactly what's getting ready to happen. That Larry and Trish are going to now think I'm off my rocker because I'm going to have to tell them I don't believe in all this stuff. I don't believe in the tongues anymore. I don't believe in prophecy. And I, I, I started thinking to myself, Larry has fallen prey almost with the same mentality that draws network marketers in because of his fragility in finances and his need for that security I've seen him put emphasis too much on learning about the brain and all these kind of things. And he's, he's, he's a guy, because he's smart, he's been given to look for answers outside of the Word of God in multiple things. Counseling, helping people build businesses, helping people learn how to live their lives, the life coaching thing. And he has even admitted that he's gotten outside of God's Word and gotten into the tools and schemes of men too much. But now I still see there's this fear and there's a lack of faith for his finances. And so the, the, the prophecies that these people post, 2014 projections, here's what's going to happen and here's what you can hope for. It gives people a false sense of hope. They're putting their trust in the words of a man rather than putting their trust in their face before God. This is becoming so clear to me as I even articulate this here, you know, right now, that this is the problem with it is that it sets us up to have men tell us what we want to hear. Yes, they may have 90% of stuff in there that could be correct. They could quote scripture and say, and this is why, and that's why, and speak, thus saith the Lord, and all that. But the reality is that majority of it is positioned such that you are hearing what you want to hear. And it gets you excited, it gets you filled with hope for a minute, instead of reading the word of God, where Jesus says, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Who wants to hear that message? I do because I trust that God's good is to take care of me on the other side of me, giving up everything, not giving me a new Lexus or a new whatever. But I'm, I'm now aware more and more in this moment, and I take courage and confidence from this, thank you Lord, how unbelievably powerful deception can be and how deceiving 
deception is that you can't tell you're being deceived you you hear people speaking these words you can listen to Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and these guys and Bill Johnson and you can go man these guys know the word of God man these guys have got so much wisdom wow and their ability to communicate and to know the word is absolutely unparalleled and yet if you listen long enough and you know the word well enough but most people don't and I'm starting to really know God's Word. I've been spending three and four hours a day in it, in God's Word for the last four years. So because I'm starting to really know His Word, I'm starting to see these inconsistencies. God wants you to be rich. It's about money, 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 money. And you begin to realize th this is a lie. This is a lie out of the pit of hell. And they twist the Scripture. You know, my beloved, I wish that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. They twist that scripture into meaning things that it doesn't mean. And it, and it, it speaks directly to and entices the sin nature. So, the one thing that I'm taking from this that I am realizing is everything that I'm struggling with and learning about it all comes back down to knowing a tree by its fruit. I'm realizing that as I've looked at these people who believe this, every one of them. Now, people might say to me, well, Mike, you, uh, you know, you're living at home. You don't have a job. That's not the kind of circumstances I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual fruit, emotional fruit, mental fruit, not circumstantial fruit. If you looked at circumstantial fruit, then you would never ever listen to the first word that the biggest homeless loser that ever lived, Jesus Christ, said. Because he would be one of the biggest, along with all the disciples, homeless, penniless, lack of prosperous losers, according to the way the world judges people. That's not the kind of fruit that the Bible tells us to judge. It isn't it true that we all know that even though they didn't have anything, similar to Mother Teresa, they had things we have never had. And we're way wealthier than we were in the things that really matter. So my point is, is that as I look at the people that are in this movement, that are charismatic, that are chasing faith healers, that are chasing prophecy conventions, that are chasing, you know, um, the, the tongues thing and how to hear from God and all these things that are chasing, you know, these people all have elements of weird I don't know how to explain it, but it's just everybody's got something weird about them. There's always something off. For example, I remember having a conversation one time with Trish back in Florida, you know, a year ago. And she was under the impression that because her daughter, who, quote, believes in Jesus, is able to live with her boyfriend and sleep with him, that he gets, she gets to go to heaven. She's a believer. She can't lose her salvation. Well, if you are truly in Jesus Christ, I truly believe that nobody can take you out of his hands except for you, but you can choose. But the Bible makes it very clear. Do not be deceived. Those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are truly in Christ, you're a new creation and you won't act like that. And I know for a fact, having been a person who has sexually sinned, that if you have the spirit of Christ in you, you cannot continue to do that. Even in 1 John it says that anyone who's in Christ, truly, you cannot, if Christ is in you, you cannot continue to sin. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you cannot. And I think it means you cannot as in you cannot. Not like you don't have permission. 
you can't will yourself. I When I fell into even having premarital sex with my one girlfriend the 15 times over seven months where we'd struggle and, you know, fight it and 10.30 at night, late, tired, you know, hungry, all those things, and you end up doing it, I could never do that without feeling like I was smacking Jesus across his face. Sure, it felt good for 15 minutes, but the whole ride home, I was miserable, I was crying, and I finally had to put an end to it. I couldn't do it because it violates everything that the Spirit of Christ stands for in me. And yet, when I look at these people, say, for example, you know, Trish, believing that her daughter, like, well, who's, where has she been learning that as a counselor of all things, where does she think that in the Bible it says that you can believe in Jesus and still live with your boyfriend, have premarital sex, and it's going to be okay. You can still go to heaven. That is a deception of a whole nother level. That's dealing right with the, the issue of your soul being saved. And the fact is, all the people that believe in this gospel being preached by the Benny Hens and the Kenneth Copelands and the Joseph Princes and the Joel Osteens, it's an incorrect, false gospel. The Bible says, Paul says, if anyone preaches a different gospel, even an angel, let him be eternally condemned. How much more so, not how much more so, but literally, how could it not be true of those that follow a false gospel and believe a false gospel? Will they get to heaven? Are they believing in the right Jesus? Is the Jesus that, that brings health and wealth the same Jesus that says, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me, and give up everything? Which of those is the right Jesus according to Scripture? So then I have other people I'm aware of that speak in tongues and babble on like crazy and go around running around, running their mouth, giving people, the Lord said to me, spoke a word to me, even telling me that I was going to jail. And then turns around and gossips to me and runs, this this person runs their mouth incessantly, talks over and over and over and over and over and over just nonstop. That's a fruit. And then begins to share that a particular woman and her husband and her Bible study are having sexual problems. And this is a person that I actually am aware of and just began to just share that with me. That's gossip. Where does that spirit come from? Is that the Holy Spirit that's filling that person that would then cause her to gossip? Because, man, if I even come close now to saying something that I think lowers my mom in the eyes of somebody else, I, I quickly have to go, whoa, 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 I want to be real careful here. There's a difference in you know speaking the truth about somebody and tearing them down. And I'm, my, the Spirit just very much convicts me. Then there's other people that I see who chase like the Andrew Womax and they follow him and they're totally into healing and yet they have family that has such weird spiritual issues. A father who doesn't seem to have shown what felt like love to a daughter, a daughter who spent her whole life running around 37 different places, multiple different churches, chasing this whole movement and this thing and lives with, quote, angry towards God, not feeling loved by God, constantly on the look for a man, for a new job or a new city, constantly wanting to run. Is that the Spirit of Christ? Is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And yet these people claim to have speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy and seen all these weird things happening. Why does the fruit not match up and line up with the supposed gift? This is the part that I'm beginning to really, really wonder and it just kind of goes on from there. I could name more people that these people that believe like this do not have a commitment to holiness. Their lives do not look like somebody who fears the Lord. They look like somebody who's a fan of Jesus and all the good M&Ms he can give them. 
This is what it looks like to me. They're part of a social club. They like the idea of God. They like the idea of a, of a God who wants them to be blessed and wealthy and prosperous and healthy and who does these little firework shows and who will throw them around in the spirit so they can, you know, roll around or who will, you know, give them some healing or who will constantly entice them with the latest, greatest prophetic word. You know, God wants to tell you this and they chase. This is not the Holy Spirit. And, and the thing that I have never, here's my big thing on this, is that I've always wondered, Lord, you do such miraculous things in my life. Why do I not speak in tongues? Why can't I prophesy? I've, I've literally begged the Lord. Now, if the Lord would deliver me from court in such an amazing, miraculous way and speak to me in advance every time, why would he not give me a simple gift of tongues? Why would he not give me the gift of prophecy? Because they're no longer in operation. They were the gifts of the apostles. And the Bible says that the church was founded on the apostles and the prophets. The foundation was built with them. Once the foundation was built, the need for that gift was no longer needed. Because we had the full revelatory, the full revelatory word of God is in the New Testament scripture. Michael Commentary. Now before you beat me up or send me a bunch of emails or hate comments on this, please understand that this, what I'm experiencing is the exact personal illustration that I made just a few recordings back about the temptation to go from one extreme to another. And so here is my experience of going to an extreme. And I really believe that what you're hearing is me going from one far over on the left, all things are possible, anything can happen, everything supernatural must be of God, to now basically no tongues, no prophecy, no nothing, it's all died, it's all dead, a full-blown John MacArthur Jr. cessationist. And so this is the extreme that I'm going here. So understand the very next message, keep in mind these are seven years ago, the very next message is going to be my commentary on what I believe about these things now. If anything, I could, I could label myself as a partial cessationist, but I'm going to reserve defining what that is until after you hear what I have to say in this next recording that will follow this. So just swallow hard as you go through this, the rest of this recording, and then we'll get back to what does Michael believe? What has God shown me? What has seven years of full-time ministry and walking with God done to open my eyes? What do I believe now? As I've continued to seek after the Lord, you know, seven years of walking with God, seven years of Bible study, seven years of humility before the Lord, seven years of service of the Lord, I've learned an awful lot more than what this guy knows here. It's really important for me to make that point that, you know, you're talking about twice as long as the disciples walked with Jesus is how long it has been between this recording and the recording that you're getting ready to hear. Keep that in mind. So I could have walked with Jesus twice as long as the disciples. They only walked with him for about three to three and a half years. So we're talking almost seven years later. So this shows you how my beliefs, and this is one of the things that, you know, when people hit me with, Michael, you're missing this, or this isn't what uh, the scripture says, or, hey, you got to see this. And, you know, brother, I love you. I'd see you're sincere, but, you know, here's the truth on this. And I want to uh, to debate back with them. And I always understand, listen, sometimes it took me years to come to this conclusion of humility and saying, God, what is the truth in this? Father, help me to see this. Let me not be the guy who says, I have all the answers and everybody else is wrong. No, God, I give you everything. I turn it upside down. You give back to me what's true. Take away from me from what's not true. I mean, I'm the guy who even asks the Lord to blind the eyes and ears of people 
to all of my messages I've spoken over the years to anything I've said in it that was not from his spirit, anything that's not in accordance with sound doctrine. I mean, every work that's ever been done by man is fallible. It all has some type of corruption in it. We are men. And so I've asked over the years, God, realizing this, Father, please blind the minds and blind the ears of men and women who hear things in my recordings that are not true, that are not of your spirit, where you just, you know, you allowed me to keep going in my ignorance. Please, God, have mercy upon me. And again, I make the argument, I've never met a single Christian, dead or alive, who I agree with 100% and ascertain my position on doctrines exactly as the way they have. I think God has completely allowed it to be this way. But nevertheless, for those who are curious, seven years of full-time ministry, and indeed what's so contradictory here to what I'm saying is that God is going to prophesy through me. So I'm just, I'm just sitting here saying that, you know, why God wouldn't give that to me? And in fact, he is going to give me the gift of prophecy, and I am going to be able to have insights into particular people's life, things that only the Holy Spirit could let me know. Plus, more importantly, the New Testament gift of prophesying is what you hear me doing all throughout these recordings, where I am expanding and sharing and revealing the word and heart of God on certain matters. So I'm going to end this commentary for here. Hold on to your horses. Hold on to your hats and glasses here, folks. We'll get through the rest of this recording, and then you can hear my current commentary and my argument for or against uh, tongues and other things like that. May God bless you as you listen. End of commentary. And there's people that believe different you know, reasons, but the bottom line is I seem to have more evidence that the Holy Spirit's main job has been transforming my heart, transforming my character, giving me an amazing sense of, of, of God's presence uh, in, a, in not a weird way. Just walking down the sidewalk, spending time talking, knowing somehow that He's with me and that He hears me. Nothing weird, no going to shows, conferences, dancing, running around, acting a fool, living however I want to live and claiming the gifts of the Spirit. There's no weirdness with it. And I just see so many people in this church that are weird. It reminds me of... The network marketing junkies, the people who are uneducated, they're gullible, they'll, and, and these people will buy into anything. And they're some of the most devout, loyal followers because they just turn their brain off and say, tell me what I want to hear, boss, get me good. You know, and I feel like in fairness to my particular church, I feel like the pastor has come out of that background where it was very severe, very ugly, very weird, and I feel like he's been trying to change but it's not making much of a difference. It's not, it's, not, it's not changing enough. He's not going all the way across the line. He's not, they're still stirring up the gifts and still having, quote, encounter nights and, you know, stuff like that. So it's, there's a good word that's being preached, but many times the word is stopped short of being the full word. It's right up to the point where it gets comfortable, gets uncomfortable, and then the, and then the direction changes or the word stops. I've seen it time and time again where I'm sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for him to finish that scripture or to bring that point home that, you know, you can't live like this and expect to go to heaven. You can't say one thing and do another. You can't walk out of here and act a fool and just claim that you're in Jesus and pretend like you're going to go to heaven. You can't do that. But those words never come. They come close, but never come. And so to me, there's a man who's bending the word to accommodate the ear of his hearers. He doesn't want to offend, doesn't want to be, you know, he's got to, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm out, I'm out. God has opened my eyes, I don't know where I'm going to go, I don't care if I lose every friend, including Larry Trish, I'm not going to sacrifice 
what I now know is the truth of God and His Scripture to accommodate my friends. And I love them and I pray that they'll have their eyes opened. But I can feel how strong the deception is, even myself trying to get out of it. I can feel, oh, come on, Mike. I mean, you're not really saying you don't believe in the gifts of this Holy Spirit anymore. I mean, come on. You wouldn't do that. That's blasphemous. I can feel. And yet, I have... If I died right now, I would say I'm one of the luckiest men that's ever lived as far as it goes with my relationship with God. I love Him so much, and I don't think there's a person that's within a square mile of my life that wouldn't say and conclude that Michael is a guy who's sold out for the Lord and obeys Him to the point of suffering and makes a difference in other people's lives because of his love for the Lord. Michael has a fruit. There's evidence that God is with Michael, and there's no weirdness with Michael. I have the joy... I have a father who has miraculously provided for me, not because I went to some, you know, convention or went to some crusade, but because I prayed and he provided and there's none of that weirdness and I'm content. That's another thing. That's another thing that I do not see in the lives of most of these people. There's a lack of contentment. They're always wanting something. They're either wanting more security they're wanting more peace because they're in fear of where their retirement account or money's going to come from. Or they're wanting, you know, they're not in peace about the health of their husband. Their husband has health issues and they're all frantic. They had faith in God a couple days ago, but now they're completely frantic because of a health issue. They've, they've, they, they, they don't have faith in God anymore. Not real faith. And just trusting Him. And then those that, who are, are not content with their job with their relationships, with where they're living. There's always how they look. There's always something that they need. I mean, one other final thing I want to say is I look at a person like who claims to be spirit-filled with the Holy Spirit and claims to have spoken in tongues. And yet right now in this very moment, she's back at her house ordering around her husband like a dog and I hear the way she talks to him it offends me it is so offensive and of course I don't say anything because I'm not getting involved in their business and if and then to think here's a quote spirit holy spirit filled woman who whose only thoughts are constantly on what do I get to go shopping and buy next what trip are we taking next and as of right now planning a party for pagan friends to come over and drink and carouse and have fun jokes and play a stupid game of Dirty Santa and laugh and basically most of them leave drunk. And two of them are homosexuals that call themselves Christians who have been, quote, spiritual advisors for most of her life and claim, uh, she claims that these people, these two men have made the most impact. What in the world is true about any of that from the Spirit of God? I mean, it makes my stomach turn to be around people that don't care anything about oh they read the books in the morning they do this they do that go to the church talk it up with other people but they don't live a lick of it where is the evidence where is the fruit in the life sure they may seem loving they may see happy but the truth of the matter is they're concerned and consumed with the things of the world and they do not look any different than the people in the world than the world, and not and not a single one of them. I bet you there's not a single person that's coming to this party that I'm aware of, that I can think of, that sounds like a person who's a, a true follower of Christ that will go to heaven. So it's a party to celebrate with a bunch of people who don't know the Lord and will most likely never end up in heaven. 
And this all by a spirit-filled, tongue-speaking Christian. Case closed. That is not Christianity. That is not the Spirit of Christ at work. I don't care what anybody says. That is the truth. That is not an issue of somebody, oh, maybe they're just not mature yet. No. For a person to claim that they're filled with the Spirit of God and to act like that and say things like that and to have a level of discontentment like that and a constant need to go buy new things, and no, that is not the Spirit of Christ that you're filled with. And this is a Spirit-filled Christian with the Holy Spirit? You know, it sounds awfully indignant, and it, it is, because I am. My eyes are opening up to how slick the devil has been and how unbelievable the deception is. And I can no longer, I'm not willing to sacrifice the truth. God has given me a spirit of courage to go with this. I'm just wanting to make sure that I'm well studied. And like the Bereans, I'm making sure that I know from Scripture, you know, what's true and what's not. But again, final thought, it all comes down to fruit. I don't care what somebody says about their life or about their Jesus or about what they think they are or how much gifts they have or what kind of gifts they have or how long they've been filled with the Spirit or how long they've been in church or how many Bible studies they're in. None of that stuff even matters until I see the person's fruit, both coming out of their mouth and coming out of how they live. If a person says, Jesus, 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 and turns around and lives just like the world, they got the wrong Jesus, or they don't have him at all. The Bible is so clear on this, and I'm no longer willing to say, well, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, got to meet people where they're at, or, well, you know, I mean, it's an issue of mature. Hey, look, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. I mean, they're just junior Christians. No, Paul was real quick to point out to new churches and new believers, you're new, the old you is dead, turn from it. Practice holiness. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Don't hang around with people that act like that. Expel the immoral brother from among you. You're proud? Get people, don't be deceived. Swindlers, idolaters, fornicators, gossipers, slanderers, idolatries. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. So now I'm just, my, my heart has moved from heartbrokenness to, to indignation over the whole thing. But it's back to being brokenhearted because it is a sad, sad thing. And I can feel the ability to get overwhelmed about it, and I can't because this is the Lord's stuff. I can only do my part, and I'm thankful that He's that He's He's opening my eyes to this. I'm thankful that He's opening my eyes to this. It's, it's painful to go through. It's very uncomfortable. It's going to cause a lot of heartburn for a lot of people, but this will pass, and I will know that I stood courageously for God's truth in spite of how convinced other people might be that I'm wrong or that I'm delusional or that I've misinterpreted Scripture, I will know that I stood for the truth and I will trust the Lord with the consequences and the results. If I lose every single friend and every single family member, it is not because I did not do what I did in love. I'm not willing to pretend like love is kissy-kissy, turn the other way, not look, and just ignore truth. I can't do it. I can't do it. God has opened my eyes and I have to walk in the truth once I know it. Or I become guilty. If I keep going to church after I know now what I know, what would that say to the Lord? Oh, so you're, you're not entirely convinced that my word is true, huh, Michael? And I just keep going back? Honoring whatever spirit is in the church besides Jesus Christ? And that sounds so harsh. But if the fruit of Christ is not seen in the lives of the people, then is it the spirit of Christ that's at work? Or is it another spirit that's at work? a deceiving spirit, doctrine that's being taught by demons. 
You know, people will say, well, how could you ever say that, Michael? I mean, there's, they're talking about Jesus. Well, there's, there's apparently multiple different Jesuses. There's the Jesus of the Bible, and then there's the, the prosperity Jesus, the health Jesus, the name it, claim it Jesus, the, all these different Jesuses. So which one is the right one? So just because somebody's mentioning his name doesn't mean they have the right one, or just because they're saying hallelujah, or just because the music is so good and so moving. I could put in, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and get everybody just as emotionally moved as what they're listening to in church. That doesn't have anything to do with the Spirit of God. I was blind to this. I'm convinced now that there are churches that worship in quiet, soft surrender with gentle voices reading out of a hymnal where the Spirit of God, a gentle dove, is much more pleased and receives much more worship than in these churches now that I've been going to where people raise their hands and cry, as I have done, as I have done because I love the Lord, but I do this when I'm standing out here with Him, I cry. It isn't the music that moves me to tears. But they raise and they clap and they kind of dance around and hallelujah, amen, and all that. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that everybody in there is not a follower or sincere believer being moved by the Spirit, but the majority of them are not. And how do I know? Because I've met them and I have seen fruit in their life that is anything but coming from the Spirit of Christ. And now I just have to ask myself, do I have the courage to move on what I know? Or do uh, does the fear of being judged, the fear of being critical... The fear of being called black and white, intolerant, judgmental, bigoted. Does that fear and those accusations, are they going to keep me bound up in the lies? Or will I now say, guys, the Lord has opened my eyes. I know this is going to be so hard for you to understand and hear. But I no longer believe in the charismatic movement. And I believe it's part of a great end times deception to get people focused on things and new revelations outside of God's word. Constantly chasing the experience rather than the revealed word and truth of God. And it puts people's focus on wanting something from God rather than obeying and trying to become more like God. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. This is what the word of God says. But we don't often want to imitate a holy godly, sanctified Jesus Christ, we want to go be a part of the, the circus act. And I'm no longer going to be a part of that. And when people doubt me, I'm going to ask them to simply look at the fruit. And if you're very happy with the fruit in your life and you feel like you have that peace of Christ and the joy of Christ and the contentment that Paul talks about in all circumstances, if you feel like you have a burning passion for love of Christ and of the truth, if you feel like you have a genuine love for other people and, a, and an indignation towards the evils that you see in the church, and if your behaviors and attitudes are reflective of that that we see in the person of Christ, well then I say you're in the right place. But if you're not and something's missing, something's got to change. I think the enemy is so subtle because it's just alarming to me how easy it would be for me to dismiss this and go, you know what, this is just fanatical. This is just fanatical. Don't cry heresy. Just, It would be so easy to just kind of, well, I'll just do my own thing. I mean, I don't have to participate in all that. And just kind of dismiss it and say, well, there's Jesus is being preached. The music's good. There's good people. They smile. Everything seems okay. I can't do it. I can't do it. Now I'm just going to have to pray if the Lord wants me to prepare you know, a letter, a message? Does he want me when people ask, why did I leave the church, to give them an answer? Or to, should I just point them to the, the you know, the book? Um, I don't know. 
But man, when I look at the lives of these men of God that I've been studying, and when you look at the character of these men's life and the, the quality with which they lived their lives and the nonsense that they, did, that they do not or did not participate in, when you see these, these godly men, they're not acting a fool, they're not standing up having to tell an obligatory stupid joke every single time church service starts. They don't have to constantly go, I'm preaching better than y'all are letting on, you know, and, and how's the preacher doing? You know, y'all with me and constantly need this call response. They don't have to dress weird. They don't have to tell people, I mean, it's, I could just go on and on, but I got to stop. It's almost getting depressing.